Book Ten, Chapter Five of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Ten, Chapter Five The Operation of Terror. Lady Isabella, for the first two or three miles, left Camilla uninterruptedly to her own thoughts. She then endeavored to engage her in some discourse, but was soon forced to desist. Her misery exceeded all measure of restraint, all power of effort. Her father in prison, and for her own debts. The picture was too horrible for her view, yet too adhesive to all her thoughts, all her feelings, all her faculties, to be removed from them a moment. Penetrated by what she owed to Lady Isabella, she frequently took her hand, pressed it between her own, pressed it to her lips, but could shew her no other gratitude and force herself to no other exertion. It was still early. They travelled post and with four horses, and arrived at Winchester before eight o'clock shaking she entered the town half fainting half dead lady isabella would have driven straight on to etherington which was but a stage further but to enter the rectory whence the rector himself was torn no cried she no there where abides my father there alone will i abide no roof shall cover my head but that which covers his I have no wish but to sink at his feet, to crawl in the dust, to confine myself to the hardest labor for the remnant of my miserable existence, so it might expiate but this guilty outrage. Lady Isabella took not any advantage of the anguish that was thus bursting forth with secret history. She was too delicate and too good to seize such a moment for surprising confidence and only inquired if she had any friend in the town who could direct her whither to go and accompany as well as direct she knew no one with sufficient intimacy to endure presenting herself to them upon such an occasion and preferred proceeding alone to the sad and cruel interview lady isabella ordered the chase to an hotel where she was shewn into a room upstairs whence she sent one of her own servants to inquire out where debtors were confined and if mr tyrold were in custody charging him not to name from whom or why he came and begging camilla to get ready a note to prepare her father for the meeting and prevent any affecting surprise she then went to choose herself a chamber determined not to quit her voluntary charge till she saw her in the hands of her own friends Camilla could not write. To kneel, to weep, to sue, was all she could bear to plan. To present to him the sight of her handwriting, she had not courage. Presently she heard a chase drive rapidly through the inn gate. It might be him, perhaps released. She flew down the stairs with that wild hope, but no sooner had descended them than a dread of his view took its place, and she ran back. She stopped, however, in the landing-place to hear who entered. Suddenly a voice struck her ear that made her start, that vibrated quick to her heart, and there seemed to arrest the springs of life. She thought it was the voice of her mother. 
It ceased to speak, and she dropped on one knee, inwardly but fervently praying her senses might deceive her. Again, however, and more distinctly it reached her. Doubt then ceased, and terror next to horror took its place. What was said she knew not. Her trepidation was too great to take in more than the sound. Prostrate she fell on the floor, but hearing a waiter say, "'Upstairs, madame, you may have a room to yourself,' she started, rose, and rushing violently back to the apartment she had quitted, bolted herself in, exclaiming, "'I am not worthy to see you, my mother. I have cast my father into prison, and I know you will abhor me.' She then sat down against the door to listen if she were pursued. She heard a footstep, a female step. She concluded it that of her mother. "'She can come,' cried she, "'but to give me her malediction!' And flew frantic about the room, looking for any means of escape, yet perceiving only the window, whence she must be dashed to destruction. She now heard a hand upon the lock of the door. "'Oh, that I could die!' "'Then I could die!' she cried, madly advancing to the window and throwing up the sash, yet with quick instinctive repentance pulling it down, shuddering and exclaiming, "'Is there no death for me but murder? No murder but suicide?' A voice now found its way through her cries to her ear that said, "'It is me, my dear Miss Tyrold. Will you not admit me?' It was Lady Isabella, but her mother might be with her. She could not, however, refuse to open the door, though desperately she said to herself, If she is there, I will pass her and rush into the streets. Seeing, however, Lady Isabella alone, she dropped on her knees, ejaculating, Thank heaven! Thank heaven! One moment yet I am spared! What is it, my dear Miss Tyrold, said Lady Isabella, that causes you this sudden agony? What can it be that thus dreadfully disorders you? Is she with you? cried she, in a voice scarce audible. Does she follow me? Does she demand my father? Rise, dear madame, and compose yourself, if you mean a lady whom this minute I have passed, and whose countenance so much resembles yours that I thought her at once some near relation, she is just gone from this house." "'Thank heaven! Thank heaven!' again ejaculated the prostrate Camilla. "'My mother is spared a little longer the dreadful sight of all she must now most abominate upon earth!' She then begged Lady Isabella instantly to order the chase and return to town. "'On the contrary,' answered her ladyship, extremely surprised at so wild a request, "'let me rather myself carry you to your family.' "'Oh, no, Lady Isabella, no!' cried Camilla, speaking with frightful rapidity and shaking in every limb. "'All now is changed. I came to wait upon my father, to humble myself at his feet, not to obtrude myself upon my mother. Oh, Lady Isabella, I shall have broken her heart, and I dare not offend her with my sight.' Lady Isabella, with the most judicious gentleness, endeavoured to render her more reasonable. "'I pretend not,' she said, "'to decide upon your situation, "'though I comprehend its general affliction. "'Yet still, and at all events, "'its termination must be a meeting. 
suffer me therefore rather to hasten than retard so right a measure allow of my mediation and give me the infinite pleasure of leaving you in the hands of your friends camilla though scarcely able to articulate her words declared again the motive to her journey was at an end that her father had now one to watch soothe and attend him who had none of her dreadful drawbacks to consoling powers and that she would remain at mrs burlington's till summoned home by their immediate commands lady isabella began pleading their own rights to decide if or not the meeting should be deferred but wildly interrupting her you know not she cried what it is you ask i have not nerves i have not hardiness to force myself into such a presence an injured father an offended mother oh lady isabella if you knew how i adore and how i have ruined them let me go to them from you myself let me represent your situation they are now probably together that lady whom i saw but from the stairs though her countenance so much struck me and whom i now conclude to be mrs tyrold said as she passed i shall walk i only want a guide they had not then even met cried camilla starting up with fresh horror she is but just arrived has but just been at etherington and there heard that her husband was in prison and in prison for the debts of her daughter, her guilty, perhaps reprobated daughter. Again, wringing her hands, half distracted, Oh, that the earth, she cried, had received me ere I quitted the parental roof. Innocent, I had then died, beloved, regretted. No shame would have embittered my father's sorrow, no wrath my mother's no culpable misconduct would have blighted with disgrace their long long wish for meeting the compassionating yet judicious lady isabella willing to shorten the suffering she pitied made yet another effort to prevent this unadvised return by proposing they should both sleep this night at winchester that camilla might gather some particulars of her family and some composure for herself to better judge what step to pursue but all desire of meeting was now converted into horror she was too much known in the neighbourhood to escape being recognised if she stayed till the morning and her shattered intellects she declared could not bear passing a whole night in expectation of a discovery through some accident have i not already cried she heard her voice and fled its sound judge then lady isabella if i can present myself before her no i must write first i have a long and dreadful history to relate and then when she has heard it and when the rectory has again its reverend master and when they find some little palliation where now they can see only guilt and when all is committed without disguise to their goodness, their mercy, they may say to me perhaps themselves, Unhappy Camilla, thou hast paid thy just penalty. Come home then to thy parents' roof, thou penitent child. Lady Isabella knew too little of the characters with which she had to deal, to judge if it would be right to insist any further. She ordered, therefore, fresh horses to her chaise, and as soon as her footman came back, who brought the now useless direction where Mr. Tyrold was to be found, they galloped out of Winchester. At Alton they stopped to sleep, and her immediate terror removed, 
she became more sensible of what she owed to lady isabella to whom in the course of the evening she recounted frankly the whole history of her debts except what related to lionel your ladyship hears me she said in conclusion with the patience of benevolence though i fear with the censure of all judgment what evils have accrued from want of consideration and foresight my errors have all been doubled by concealment every mischief has been augmented by delay oh lady isabella how sad an example shall i add to your powers of benign instruction from day to day from hour to hour i planned expedients where i ought to have made confessions to avoid one dreadful but direct evil what i have suffered has been nearly intolerable what i have inflicted unpardonable lady isabella much touched by her openness and confidence repaid them by all that compassion could suggest or that a sincere disposition toward esteem could anticipate of kindness she gathered the amount of the sum for which mr tyrold was confined and besought camilla to let it less weigh upon her spirits as she could herself undertake that lord o'learney would accommodate him with it immediately and wait his perfect leisure for repayment i have known him said she from a child and have always seen with respect and admiration the prompt pleasure with which he rather seizes than accepts every opportunity to do good camilla returned the most grateful thanks but acknowledged she had no apprehension but that the writ would immediately be withdrawn as the county was almost filled with friends to her father who would come forward upon such an occasion what rests thus upon my mind said she and what upon his and upon my mother's will rest is the disgrace and the cause the one so public the other so clandestine and besides though this debt will be easily discharged its payment by a loan is but incurring another and how that is to be paid i know not indeed oh, alas lady isabella the father i have thus dreadfully involved has hitherto throughout his exemplary life held it a sacred duty to adapt his expenses to his income again lady isabella gave what consolation she could bestow and in return for her trust said she would speak to her with sincerity upon a point of much delicacy it was of her friend mrs burlington who now said she you are not perhaps aware is becoming a general topic of discourse to the platonics with which she set out in life she has of late joined coquetry nor even there stops the ardour with which she seeks to animate her existence to two characters hitherto thought the most contradictory the sentimental and the flirting she unites yet a third till now believed incompatible with the pleasures and pursuits of either this i need not tell you is that of a gamestress and when to three such attributes is added an open aversion to her husband a professed and even boasted hatred of his person his name his very being what hope can be entertained be her heart her intentions what they may that the various dangers she sets at defiance will not ultimately take their revenge and surprise her in their trammels edgar himself seemed to camilla to be speaking in this representation 
and that idea made it catch her attention in the midst of her utmost misery. She urged, however, all she knew and could suggest in favor of Mrs. Burlington, and Lady Isabella expressed much concern in occasioning her any painful sensations. But who, said she, can see you thus nearly and not be interested in your happiness? And I have known, alas, though I am still under thirty, instances innumerable of self-deluded young women who, trusting to their own pure intentions, have neither feared nor heeded the dangers which encircled them, till, imperceptibly, from the insidious influence of levity, they have pursued the very course they began with disclaiming, and followed the very steps from which, at first, they unaffectedly recoiled. Instructed and grateful, though incapable of being tranquilized, Camilla the next day reached Grosvenor Square long before her fair friend had left her downy pillow. Lady Isabella extracted a promise to be informed of her proceedings, and, loaded with merited acknowledgments, returned to her own mansion. Camilla took possession of the first room in which she found a pen and ink, and wrote instantly to Lavinia a short, rapid, and incoherent letter, upon the distraction of her mind at the dreadful calamity she had occasioned her father, and the accumulated horrors to which her mother had returned. She durst not present herself before them uncalled, not even by letter, but she would live in the strictest retirement and penance till they ordered her home, for which epoch, not more longed than dreaded, she besought her sister's mediation. This sent off, she forced herself to wait upon Miss Margland, who had received an answer from Cleves to continue in town till Indiana wrote or reappeared. She was put immediately into uncommon good humor by the ill success at the journey of Camilla, which, she protested, was exactly what she expected. Camilla then strove to recollect all she had been told by Lord O'Lerney of Mr. McDursey, and to relate it to Miss Margland, who, pleased and surprised, undertook to write it to Sir Hugh. To three days of dreadful suspense she now saw herself inevitably condemned in waiting an answer from Lavinia, but as her eyes were opened to her mark, by the admonitions of Lady Isabella, and her attention was called back to the earlier cautions of Edgar, her time, though spent with misery, hung not upon her unoccupied. She thought herself called upon by every tie of friendship, faithfully and courageously, to represent to Mrs. Burlington her impropriety of conduct with regard to Bellamy, and the reports that were spread abroad to her more general disadvantage. Her reception from that lady she had thought, for the first time, cold. She had welcomed her, indeed, with an accustomed embrace, but her kindness seemed strained, her smile was faint, and the eyes, which so softly used to second it, were averted. As soon as they were alone together, Camilla took her hand, but, without returning its pressure, Mrs. Burlington presented her with a new poem for her evening's amusement. Camilla put it down, but while hesitating how to begin, Bellamy was announced. She started and flew away, but returned when he was gone and begged a conference. Mrs. Burlington answered certainly, though she looked embarrassed, and added not immediately as she was obliged to dress for the evening. 
Camilla entreated she might speak with her before dinner the next day. To this she received a gentle assent, but no interview at the time appointed took place, and when at dinner they met, no notice was taken of the neglect. She now saw she was pointedly avoided. Her courage, however, was called upon, her gratitude was indebted for past kindnesses, and her honor felt a double engagement. The opportunity, therefore, she could not obtain by request, she resolved to seize by surprise. Bellamy was again, however, announced. But the moment that, from her own chamber, she heard him descend the stairs, she flew to the dressing-room and abruptly entered it. The surprise she gave was not greater than that she received. Mrs. Burlington, her fine eyes streaming with tears, and her white hands uplifted with an air of supplication, was evidently in an act of devotion. Camilla drew back and would have retired, but she hastily dried her eyes and said, "'Miss Tyrold, do you want me? Where's Miss—Miss uh, Miss Margland?' "'Ah, oh, my dearest Mrs. Burlington, my friend, as I had hoped, and by me surely I trust loved for ever,' cried Camilla, throwing her arms round her neck. "'Why this sorrow? Why this distance? Why this unkind avoidance?' Mrs. Burlington, who at first had shrunk from her embrace, now fell in trembling agitation upon her breast. Camilla hoped this was the instant to improve, when she appeared to be, herself, calling religion to her aid, and when the tenderness of her appeal seemed to bring back a movement of her first partiality. "'Suffer, suffer me,' she therefore cried, "'to speak to you now. Hear me, my dear and amiable friend, with the sweetness that first won my affection.' Mrs. Burlington, affrighted, drew back, acknowledging herself unhappy, but shrinking from all discourse, and starting when Camilla named Bellamy, with a confusion she vainly strove to repress. Unhackneyed in the world as was Camilla, her understanding and sense of right stood here in the place of experience, to point out the danger and impropriety surrounding her friend, and catching her by the gown as she would have quitted the room. "'Mrs. Burlington!' she emphatically cried. "'If you persist in this unhappy, this perilous intercourse, you risk your reputation.' you risk my sister's peace you risk even your own future condemnation oh forgive me forgive me i see how i have affected you but you would listen to no milder words mrs burlington had sunk upon a chair her hands clasped upon her forehead and tears running rapidly down her cheeks brought up with religious terrors yet ill-instructed in religious principles the dread of future punishment nearly demolished her, though no regular creed of right kept her consistently or systematically in any uniform exercise of good. But thus forcibly surprised into sudden conscientious recollections, she betrayed rather than opened her heart, and acknowledged that she was weeping at a denial she had given to Bellamy, who, molested by the impossibility of ever conversing with her undisturbed, had entreated her to grant him, from time to time, a few hours' society in a peaceful retirement. "'Nor should I, or could I,' she cried, "'refuse him, for I have every reliance in his honour. But that the guilty world, ignorant of the purity of our friendship, might causelessly alarm my brother for my fame—' 
and this and the fear of any though so groundless uneasiness to your sister makes me resist his powerful eloquence and even my own notions of what is due to our exalted league of friendship camilla listened with horror to this avowal yet saw with compassion that her friend endeavoured to persuade herself she was free from wrong though with censure that she sought to gloss over rather than investigate every doubt to the contrary but while fear was predominant for the event of such a situation to herself abhorrence filled her whole mind against bellamy and every part every plan and every probability of the business oh mrs burlington she cried conquer this terrible infatuation which obscures danger from your sight and right from your discernment mr bellamy is married and if you think yourself my sister would be hurt to know of these unhallowed leagues and bonds you must be sure with the least reflection that they are wrong you too are married and if mr melman would join with the world in condemning the extraordinary project you mention you must feel with the least reflection it ought not to be granted even were you both single it would be equally improper though not so wide-spreading in its mischief i have committed many errors yet not one of them willfully or against conviction nevertheless the ill consequences that have ensued tear me at this moment with repentant sorrow ah think then what you so tender so susceptible so feeling will suffer if with your apprehensions all awake you listen to any request that may make my sister unhappy or involve your deserving brother in any difficulty or hazard mrs burlington was now subdued touched terrified and convinced she embraced camilla wept in her arms and promised to see bellamy no more the next day arrived an answer from lavinia long minute and melancholy but tenderly affectionate and replete with pity oh my sister she began we cannot yet meet our mother is in no state to bear any added emotion the firmness of her whole character, the fortitude of her whole life, hitherto unbroken by any passion, and superior to any misfortune, have both given way suddenly and dreadfully to the scene following her arrival. She then went back to particulars. Mr. Clykes, she had heard, finding his bill for his own trouble positively refused, had conceived the Tyrold family in danger of bankruptcy by the general rumors of the joint claimants of Lionel and Claremont, and, imagining he had no time to lose, hoped by an arrest to frighten their father to terms in order to obviate the disgrace of such a measure. Their father would, however, hear of none, nor pay anything above the exact amount of the signed receipts of the various creditors, and submitted to the confinement, in preference to applying to any friend to be his bail till he could consult with a lawyer. He was already at Winchester, where he had given Clykes a meeting when the writ was served against him. He sent a dispatch to Etherington to prevent any surprise at his not returning, and to desire the affair might not travel to Cleves, where Lavinia was then with Sir Hugh. This note, addressed to the upper servant, fell into the hands of Mrs. Tyrold herself the next evening upon her sudden arrival. She had been thus unexpectedly brought back by the news of the flight of Bellamy with Eugenia, 
Her brother was still ill, but every consideration gave way to the maternal, and, in the hope to yet rescue her daughter from this violator, she set off in a packet which was just sailing. But what, upon descending from the chase, was the horror of her first news? She went on instantly to Winchester, and, alighting at an hotel, took a guide and went to the place of confinement. The meeting that ensued, continued Lavinia, no one witnessed, but everyone may imagine. I will not, therefore, wound your feelings, my dearest Camilla, with even touching upon my own. The impression, however, left upon the mind of our poor mother, I should try vainly to disguise, since it has given her a shock that has forced from me the opening of this letter. She then besought her to take nevertheless some comfort, since she had the unspeakable satisfaction to inform her that their father was returned to the rectory. He had been liberated from the writs being withdrawn, though without his consent, without even his knowledge, and contrary to his wishes, nor was it yet ascertained by whom this was done, though circumstances allowed no division to their conjectures. Harry Westwyn had learnt the terrible event in a ride he had accidentally taken to Winchester, and, upon returning to Cleves, had communicated it with the most feeling circumspection to herself. The excess of grief with which she had heard him had seemed to penetrate to his quickly sensitive soul, for he is yet more amiable, she added, than his father's partiality paints him. They agreed not to name it to Sir Hugh, though Harry assured her that no less than five gentlemen in the vicinity had already flown to Mr. Tyrold to conjure to be accepted as his bail, but he chose first to consult his lawyer upon the validity of the claim made against him. All their care, however, was ineffectual. Through some of the servants, Sir Hugh was informed of the affair, and his affliction was despair. He accused himself as being the cause of this evil, from the money he had borrowed for Claremont, which might wholly have been avoided had he followed his brother's advice in immediate and severe retrenchments. These, however, he now began in a manner that threatened to rob him of every comfort, and Mr. Westwyn was so much affected by his distress that, to relieve him at least from the expense of two guests and their servants, he instantly took leave promising, nevertheless, to yet see him again before he returned for the rest of his days to his native home. In a few hours after the departure of these gentlemen, news arrived that Mr. Tyrold was again at the rectory. Mr. Clykes had suddenly sent his receipt in full of all demands, and then set off for London. There cannot be a doubt this was the deed of the generous Mr. Westwyn, in compact with his deserving son, continued Lavinia, they have been traced to Winchester, but we none of us knew where, at present, to direct to them. The delight of my uncle at this act of his worthy old friend has extremely revived him. My father is much dissatisfied the wretched Clykes should thus be paid all his fraudulent claims, but my mother and my uncle would, I believe, scarce have supported life under his longer confinement. The letter thus concluded. My mother, when first she heard you were in town, was herself going to send for you, but when she understood that Miss Margland was with you, and you lived in utter seclusion from company, she said, since she is safe, I had rather not yet see her. Our beloved father acquiesces, for he thinks you, at present, too much shaken as well as herself for so agitating an interview, till her mind is restored to its usual firmness. 
judge then my sister since even he is for the delay if your lavinia can gather courage to plead against it you know my dearest camilla her extreme and tender fondness you cannot therefore doubt but her displeasure will soon pass away but when to the dreadful pangs of finding the hapless fate of eugenia irremediable was added the baneful sight of an adored husband in custody you cannot wonder such complicated shocks should have disordered her frame and taught her even her as my incomparable father has just said to me that always to be superior to calamity demands a mental strength beyond the frail texture of the human composition though to wish and to try for it shews we have that within which aspires at a higher state and prepares us for fuller perfection can i better finish my letter than with words such as these adieu then my dear sister i hope soon to write more cheerful tidings our poor mother is gone to belfont what a meeting again there lavinia tyrold a wish for death immediate death in common with every youthful mourner in the first paroxysm of violent sorrow was the sole sensation which accompanied the reading or remained after the finishing of this letter with camilla here she cried falling prostrate here might i but at once expire close these unworthy eyes forbidden to raise themselves to the authors of my existence finish my short and culpable career forgotten since no longer cherished by the parents i have offended by the mother who no longer wishes to see me she laid down her head and her sight became dim a convulsive shivering from feelings overstrained and nerves dreadfully shattered seized her she sighed short and quick and thought her prayer already accomplishing but the delusion soon ceased she found life still in its vigor though bereft of its joy and death no nearer to her frame for being called upon by her wishes in the heaviness of disappointment i have lived she cried too long and yet i cannot die i am become an alien to my family and a burden to myself ordered from my home by my father lest my sight should be destructive to my mother while my sister durst not even plead for me oh happy edgar how great has been thy escape not to have taken for thy wife this excommunicated wretch to live thus seemed to her impossible to pass even the day in such wretchedness she believed impracticable any every period appeared to her preferable and in the desperation of her heart she determined instantly to pursue her mother to belfont and there by the gentle intercession of eugenia to obtain her pardon or which she thought immediately would follow its refusal to sink to death at her feet relieved from the intenseness of her agony by this plan and ever eager to pursue the first idea that arose she flew to borrow from mrs burlington her post-chaise for the next morning and to supplicate that miss margland would accompany her to belfont whence if she missed mrs tyrold they could easily return the same day as the distance was not more than thirteen miles the chase was accorded promptly by mrs burlington and no regret expressed at the uncertainty of camilla whether or not she should return 
but miss margland though burning with curiosity to see eugenia as mrs bellamy would not quit town from continual expectation of some news of indiana at an early hour the following morning and feeling as if suspended but by a thread between life and death camilla set off for belfont End of chapter 5